you guys can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. I asked Brian to save me just a little time because there's something I wanted to do. Got somebody I want to introduce to you. Uh, you know, we just celebrated our my 60th anniversary in the ministry here just a few weeks ago, and one of the people featured up there uh, was Brian Borgman, uh, who's one of my students going way back at Western. Brian and his wife uh, there both here this morning, and I wanted to introduce of all the students I've had in 60 years, uh, Brian is uh, maybe the top of the heap, and he's gone on far surpassed me, written books. He's Dr. Brian Borgman, and there's a few other things I won't mention. <laughs> Brian, will you and Ariel come up here? Ariel's really the key to this whole deal. Come here, Ariel. Get you right in the middle of us. She's a wonderful, wonderful gal. Uh, they, uh, when Brian came here, uh, when I came here, I brought him on to our, our staff. I knew that he was planning. He told me to go to Mendon, Nevada and to plant a church there, which, uh, how, how long was, how long were you in here with us? Two years? Two years. And then he was off and he had a great ministry while he was here at Lake. And we, uh, we sure as heck missed him, but, uh, he's done a great work at Flourishing Church down there in Mendon, Nevada. If any of you are going there, you know, bypass the ga gambling centers and just go, go by and see them. Uh, so they're just, they're just great people. In fact, our granddaughter Ashley, and her daughter, their daughter, Ashley, well, Ariel babysat them when they were just little tykes. So that takes us back a ways. And uh, we're just, Brian is here. Uh, I mean, he's come up here. He's got to go on vacation down to Bandon. So he comes by about every year. He missed one year here. But the last time he was here, I was approaching the end of my message when some of you will recall, I went, whoop. And the last sight he had of me was going out in an ambulance. There was nothing wrong, but they they had to do it. Anyway, uh, it's good to see you, Brian. I'm going to try not to repeat that. It's time right. Is Ariel, you have anything you want to say? Glad to be here. He's a preacher. I won't let him get started. <laughs> Oh, they're wonderful, wonderful people, and uh, he's uh, he's got stature in his his world, a lot of it. And uh, how many books have you written? Six. Six. Well, I said he surpassed me. I've just written five. <laughs> so good work, buddy. He's he's really really good. So we welcome you here at Lake. God bless you. Now, I know uh, 
most of you understand, you can look around and see that uh, we're having vacation Bible school. And so we've got all this stuff up here behind me. But people have suggested, sweetly, of course, that it probably would enhance my appearance. Uh, and I'd have no doubt of that. Anything that would kind of block that. By the way, Susan, stick up your hand back there, gal. Yeah, you, Susan. This Susan right here. I. Uh, over there, Billy, right across the aisle from you. You know, we did that lapidary thing with the stone last week. Turns out both of you are into the same thing. So we want you to, beautiful stones. So we want you to start a group, a lapidary group. <laughs> it's great, just great stuff. Well, we talk about anything and everything when we get up here. It's good to see everybody. Let's go to John chapter 10. Push along here in our exposition of this great great chapter no panic i've got this handled the lord says in effect let's start reading at verse 19 they're really ticked off really ticked off at jesus matter in a nest of hornets then arose a division among the jews because of these words, because of these words, Jesus' words always stir up people. Many of them were saying, they were virtually hissing like snakes. He has a demon. This guy's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying there was a, there was another group. And they said, these are not the sayings of one who is demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him. Anytime in the Gospel of John... They says Jews, more often than not, is talking about the hostiles among them. Not everybody was hostile, but so many were. The Jews, therefore, were gathered about him and were saying to him, How long, fellow, will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Oh, they were just itching to get him just to come out with it and say that. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe the works. How did I tell you the works that I do in my father's name? These bear witness of me. If you've got eyes to see, ears to hear, you'd be getting it. But Jesus said, but you do not believe. You do not trust in me because simple reason you're not of my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. No one, no one. My father has given them to me 
John 6.18. Kind of lost my place here. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one is able, no one, to snatch them out of my Father's hand, those that belong to him. Very significant statement. I and my Father are one. It's claiming equality with the Father. Well, the Jews took up stones, and they wanted to bury him under them. Oh, they were mad. Two motifs stick out to me in this passage. One is the redundancy of history. You more often call it, and I do too, history repeats itself. It's a funny thing how things in the past just recur again and again, and we're going to see that in this passage. The other is the consistency of truth, both of which add up to the title of this message. Don't panic. I've got this says the Lord. Let's go back to the beginning of the text, verse 19, where all of a sudden there's this boil of hostility again, not the first time, toward Jesus. We learn that in Jesus' audience in verse 9 and right up to this moment, in this Good Shepherd discourse, there were others there other than his immediate disciples. There was a multitude of people. Jesus' words are aimed primarily at his disciples, but this overflow thing like pouring coffee in a cup, it overflows into the saucer. He wanted these on the side to hear what he was saying. Now we see, I'm talking about the redundancy of history. We see that controversy and division of opinion, it continues to swirl around Jesus, around his works and around his teaching. What I'm saying in this part of the message is something that you've heard from me redundantly. Nothing has changed. And all my teaching, I try to get across. You do not read the Bible as a history book. It's full of history true history. But if we just pick up our Bibles, as so often happens in men's, women's Bible studies and things like that, and we just read it as history. He back then said that. They responded in this way. Look at it with eyes that understand the redundancy of history. People are the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes things. And what we have here may not seem to relate to you, but I always read it with those eyes. Yeah, it does. Look a little deeper. And what you're seeing here still goes on today. Let me explain. They stand up and they say, Ah, this idiot has a demon. He's crazy. Now, you got to understand the premise of ancient times. One of the ways that they recognized, which today we don't, we're wrong. They recognized demonic activity and demonic possession was one of the features was insanity. If someone 
appeared to be mad, and to them and their way of thinking and with their assumptions, Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. They knew he was saying that. They, they knew what he was doing. Couldn't quite get their arms around it so they could prosecute him. He was cagey, coy about that. And uh, why do you people, look at you all standing around here. Why do you listen to this guy? He's insane. He's got a demon. To say someone was mad or insane was to say that they had a demon. Do you recognize anything familiar about that? They're saying today the same thing about you, his disciples, as they said about him. You're a bunch of stupid, right-wing extremists. You people are crazies in this society. It's just the same thing when you you take it apart. Same thing. And they think you, they think I, the followers of the Lord Jesus, are not just stupid, but they think we're a bit cracked. Get used to it. Don't panic. That's the way it was. You see, the words, the testimony, and the works of Jesus always draw fire. It always has, and it always will. And as Paul said, there is no way to aspire to live godly in Christ Jesus without taking heat. It's not just Jesus that was persecuted, but as we know from history, his disciples were. Anything that looks and smells and acts like Jesus is going to catch heat. And that's what happened in this passage. Now, there's a lot that I'm pushing to the side in order to get through this. But let me say this. These are ideas People have their assumptions. They did then, they do now. When you speak, you speak under the aegis of assumptions. People don't often put their assumptions right out there. But they put other thoughts out there which underlay them are assumptions, their ideas. Let me tell you something. Ideas matter. They matter a great deal. They assumed that what Jesus was saying was was an evidence of an inherent madness. He was crazy. He was nuts. And more and more as this society becomes disconnected from God, and it is already very disconnected from God and disconnected from his word, less and less of what people think has anything to do with the scriptures. So we look to them sillier and sillier. Ideas matter, and that's why with your children and everybody else, you've got to be careful. That's why you've got to be in the Word. That's why I'm not saying you go out and become scholars. You're not. That's why you've got to look at ideas and understand what underlies the reactions that people have today toward us Christians. 
You don't have to be Jesus. You just have to be one of his disciples. The more you act like him, the more you think like him, the more you're going to get the same criticism. And people may not say you have a demon, but they do say you're stupid. You're mad. Now to return to the accusation on the part of Jesus' detractors that he was a demon-possessed lunatic. I say again, Jesus is not too different in the charges he received than they were. Now, let me say something there by way of application. It's pretty important. We Christians sometimes, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we can do and bring reproach on Christ, not by acting the way he acted, thinking the way he thought. We can be a little lunatic. Christians sometimes, sometimes with good intentions, they do, we do, stupid things, crude things, rude things. And we do bring reproach on Christ unjustly and give the world a chance to hammer us. I knew a man, he's dead now. He was very rich, had a Learjet. That spells rich, doesn't it? Had a Learjet, and uh, he was very bold in uh, speaking out for Jesus. I wouldn't have recommended what he did, but I do admire his zeal. But we do have to be careful that we're not foolish at times. He was in Seattle, and he was meeting with the board of a big, big company. I don't remember all the business details. Food came, and they all dug in, he said, like hogs on slop. And it offended him as a Christian. Somebody ought to at least be thankful. And so he just got up in the middle of the restaurant, and he said, let's pray and thank God for this food. Well, that's a little over the top, I think. I think there's a less rude way to do that rather than imposing that on everybody else. Though, as I say, I do admire his zeal. Uh, I think that sometimes we, in our zeal, may not observe the propriety of time and place. In your zeal in the office, if you go to an office these days, <laughs> a lot of people don't, and you go in, you want to be a witness in the office. I don't suggest, I mean, people have been known to do things like this, that you jump up on the desk and begin to preach to everybody. Now, that's not time and place. That's not the right approach. So sometimes people can accuse us of being insane, being stupid and idiots, things like that. And we actually, by our bad judgment, give them a little reason to think that. Having said that, it's not just crudity or stupidity that causes us to suffer vilification like Jesus did. The real problem here is the same problem we have today, very same problem. It is, as I've told you again and again, it's the hostility of darkness to light. We must recognize, and I think most of you do, we must recognize what we're up against culturally. Don't go beating yourself over the head 
if as you try to be a light in the world, a light in the midst of this darkness, to speak truth into the middle of lies. You go, don't beat yourself over the head if people react as if you had done something wrong. That's just the way it is, and it's getting more so. In the name of Christ, take offense at your friend or associate, not the friends of Christ. What am I talking about? Well, I go back years and years. It's right here at Lake. It was the Sunday nearest Christmas. It was right over there about where Carl and Jeanette, in fact, it may have been you too. <laughs> no, they were sitting right in those seats. And I had a sermon on the, I believe it was the Magnificat. And I'm not certain about that. But anyway, I didn't make a huge point out of it. But it's sad the way these things happen. A couple came in, and he was an assistant secretary of the Treasury of the United States. It was a brother of one of our members. And uh, they were both Catholic. I just made a passing point that Mary was not full of grace as they teach. Mary was one who received grace. I was just making as we went through the text. Of course, the Latin Vulgate, which you probably never read and you haven't missed anything. I mean, it was fine, for, but the point is they mistranslated it. Well, the family, the Catholic family, they were very offended. In that case, the pastor didn't say anything wrong. I said something that ought to be said in the text. I didn't go out of my way to find it. It was there. I was explaining the text. But our family took great offense because I told the truth about the passage. Right out the door they went, never been seen since. Understand that when you teach the truth, there's offense. When Jesus spoke the truth, there was offense. You're just his disciples. You're not like Jesus in the sense. You're not a fully developed Jesus. You're just one of his disciples. But when you act the truth, when you speak the truth, you're going to get blowback. And if you understand that, you'll be better off. Don't panic. The Lord Jesus says, I've got this handled. He's got you in his hands. Just do what you're supposed to do. Be what you're supposed to be. Go where you're supposed to go and let the trip, trip, let the truth land where it will. There's always going to be fractiousness. There's always going to be division. There's always going to be pain when you're on that side of the fence. There's always going to be. Don't go run, duck, and hide and say, Oh, I don't want to be a social pariah. If you're on the right side of the fence, expect to get some wrong gunfire.
Well, let's move along here. Truth matters, and if it offends, take sides with God, not with those who oppose him. Verse 21, that view that Jesus was a demon that people should not listen to was no means of consensus. I find an interesting thing here. There was a, a third party in the mix. There were some people in the multitude who were looking at this thing more objectively. It always interests me how in these kind of situations, God often has some people who are influenced by the Spirit. I don't know whether these people knew the Lord or not. I doubt it. But they were looking more objectively and they said, hmm, I don't think so. A demon can't open the eyes of the blind, can he? I think you're a little off key on this one. Now, I got to stop right there and explain something. Demonic power, as a matter of fact, can do some astounding things. We'll see that in the book of Revelation. We do see that in the book of Revelation. And we see in Matthew 24, verse 24, where Jesus said, false prophets will come along and they'll work great signs and wonders. Sometimes the Lord will give leash to the dogs of Satan. And sometimes astounding things can happen. But he never does it for good. He always uses it to seduce, to bring people into the circle of death. So beware of that. Their theology was a little wrong at that point. But nevertheless, they thought and they were right that these people were off base. These words, they said, don't quite fit that shoe. This man's words are not the words of someone insane, not at all. And besides, a demon is not able to open the eyes of the blind, is he? Their question expected a negative answer. We don't think so. As many witnesses as the devil will raise up to contradict and disparage the truth. Hear this, the Lord usually raises up another, other voices to affirm it and to call into question the ulterior motives of those who reject him. I'm not a big user of Facebook. I use it mainly to see what you're doing. <laughs> to follow you people, check you out. Um, I'm just kidding. And to post my grandkids and great-grandkids, you know, things like that. But I've noticed on there, there are a lot of postings from sometimes Jewish people and other people who are not Christians. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ from a bunny rabbit. But somehow in the providence of God, their minds have been given a tilt where they're oddly sympathetic to the Christian point of view. And they are rebutting those who are attacking. That's why I say as many witnesses as the devil will raise up to contradict and disparage the truth as it did here. 
It's interesting how the Lord usually raises up enough minority voices to call into question the ulterior motives of those who reject him. Well, in verses 22 and 23, sometime thereafter during the Feast of Dedication, which was December the 14th, held there in Jerusalem, Jesus was teaching under this covered portico. The time marker was probably intended to explain why Jesus was still in Jerusalem. Because he used these big, big festival occasions when there were great crowds. He used those to get his message out. And perhaps also to explain why he happened to be in this covered area. Uh, By the way, that feast today we call the feast of, what is it? Hanukkah. Yeah. It celebrated the expulsion of Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 to 164 B.C. What do they say today? Before the common era. Why do they say that? They want to avoid Christ. (laughs) So I still say B.C. and A.D. kind of dates me, but that's the way it ought to be. Now a group of Jews surrounds Jesus, verse 24, in this setting, not to learn the truth, but for the purpose of extracting something from him that they can use against him. Their, Their agenda is always consistent. They wanted to pressure him into some indiscreet statement by their standards. They wanted to pressure him into yielding some slip of the tongue that they could make a criminal issue out of, either in their courts or in a Roman court. If they could get him to say Messiah, well, even the Romans knew what that meant. This guy's calling himself the Messiah? Well, I don't think so, but this sounds like a rival to Caesar. They could run to re- We got some guy teaching that he's the Messiah. You all better come in here and take charge of this. Maybe they could get rid of him indirectly. Well, the Lord Jesus was never going to take that bait and fall into their trap. He well knew that the term Messiah, the Christ, was freighted in their thinking with political connotations. An explicit advertisement of himself in that light could be used to accuse him and set himself up as a or be seen as one setting himself up as a rival to Caesar. So the Lord answered them, I've already told you. You want me just to say it? I'm a sign. Look, I've, I've told you plainly. Huh? Where did you do that? My works and my words. They're the words of God. You're not hearing. You're not hearing. It's not plain enough for us. Jesus says, I've told you and you're not believing me. The problem is, verse 26, you don't believe the facts that are right in your faces. And the reason you don't believe them, well, here's the consistency. The consistency of the truth. You don't believe them. He said to them then, and I, this pastor, say to us today, is because the truth doesn't compel you. That's because it's insufficient 
to you only because you don't have ears to hear. That's not the first time you've heard this. And eyes to see. It's the same thing that we're dealing with in this culture. We've got a mission. Go ye in all the world. You know, just cut to the chase. Preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Got the same problem. There are times when the Spirit is moving, moving powerfully in some area. And the Spirit is drawing people by the hundreds, maybe the thousands. Not in this country, but in other parts of the world. Of course, some of that will be chaff. Some of that will be wheat. But there's a great movement of the Spirit of God. Wasn't happening here at this time. Wasn't happening. And Jesus said, but your ears are plugged. Your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. And so that's what we're facing today. I was telling Brian yesterday evening, I've come to the place, and I wasn't born yesterday. I've come to the place where I'm very distrustful. Everything has exceptions. Very distrustful of large churches. When I hear, I see this message that comes out, and I said, well, here's John Doe. I want to introduce you to John Doe. John Doe's pastor of Podunk Baptist Church you know, in such a place. They started three weeks ago with eight people, and now they've got 8,000. Are you kidding me? Look, we live in a culture where they're not buying what we're selling. Something's wrong there. Something is wrong there. That's not the way, in my understanding, my judgment, things are working. Ears are hard. Hearts are stiff. And people just aren't responding to the gospel in great numbers. We've got the same problem in our culture that they had in that culture. They're not hearing. You can say whatever you want to say. Now, people do. People come to Christ. We see them come to Christ. And we see them also run away from Christ. Then Jesus says something, the consistency of the truth. Don't panic. I've got this, says the Lord. This has helped your pastor, and I hope it helps you, so much down through the years as I've grown older and older in the ministry. I see things and some things I understand better than I ever used to. And I'm not as subject to panic as I used to. Jesus says, you people are not of my sheep. We've got churches that are plugged with people, small, plugged, large, plugged, medium-sized, plugged. Some know Jesus, some don't know Jesus. Jesus says, you're not listening because you don't know me. You are not of my sheep. In any church... There are some goats and there are some sheep in any church, any church. There's no pure church, just like the synagogue. Jesus says, here's a differentiator, the consistency of the truth. That generation, this generation, my sheep hear my voice. We saw that last week, didn't we? When I speak, there he spoke directly. Later he spoke through his apostles. Down through the generations he spoke unto others. God's called out teachers, pastors. 
given him a prophetic voice. And Jesus says, my sheep recognize my voice through these voices. Or maybe just sitting down and reading the word. They hear my voice intuitively. That's an intuition given by the Spirit of God. They hear it and they're drawn to it in some way or another. Maybe not the first time. Maybe not the second time. But then there comes a time when the water breaks. I see, said the blind man, I see. My sheep, they will hear it. So you're looking at an aged but much more relaxed pastor than he used to say. Don't panic. The Lord says, I've got this. Tell you something, Jim. Tell you something, John. Tell you something, Joe. Tell you something, Brian. Tell all of you. My sheep, whoever they are, wherever they are, on a day at a time of my choosing, they'll hear my voice and they'll recognize and they will respond. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I know who they are. I've known from eternity past. Elect before the foundation of the world, before they were even born. God told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were ever born. The Lord knew you. He chose you before you were ever born. And then in his time, in his time, the Spirit of God so worked and created an intuition to you that gave you hearing. And you responded to Christ. You didn't know him fully. You didn't understand everything. But there's a living. There was an invincible faith in your heart. And you came to him one day, some way. And if you know him, you've been growing. Or there have been spots. You know, our growth curve kind of, our growth curve, it doesn't go like this. Watch me, everybody. You've seen those medical devices in the hospital where somebody, I saw Russ. Where are you, Russ? I went up to see him when he was almost dead. And there was, I looked in there and they had all this medical stuff and it's going like this. Well, thank goodness it was going like this because earlier it was flatlined. Anyway, that's kind of the way we grow. My sheep, they hear my voice. Somewhere, somewhere. It's not always in our church. It's in that church. It's not always in a church. It's somewhere else. It may be out in the fields. It may be in a river. Somewhere they hear the Lord's voice and they come to him. I know them. I'm not fooled. I know who they are. Don't panic. I've got this. I know exactly who my sheep are. They come to me. They know I miss quoted that, didn't I? Wait a minute. He doesn't say they come to me. That's true. But he says something else. They, what? What's the word here? They follow me. An authentic faith follows. If you belong to Jesus, you follow. You don't just sit around and futz around and go through the motions. Authentic faith is a following faith. 
It's a faith that takes its Savior and Lord seriously. Now, sometimes that comes in spasms. Just like we get sick, sometimes we get sick in a little patch. And we're not quite on the game. But the Lord's on top of that. Don't panic. I'll handle this. And he'll work in our lives to bring us together spiritually. Heal us. Get us moving again. My sheep, the consistency of the truth in every age. My sheep follow. My sheep, he says. I know them. They know me. And they follow me. Relax. Then he says, I want to tell you something. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand. There's not a person in this room who knows Jesus. I don't care whether you're eight years old or 80 years old. Not a person in this room. If you're his sheep, he knows you. And you validate that, you confirm that by faith that follows. If that's the case, you are his. And nobody is going to snatch you out of his hand. Nobody's going to snatch your son or daughter out of his hand. Now, don't get confused here. i got to hurry. It'll only take me 40 more minutes. But I, I, do need to, I do need to hurry along here. Don't. We have a very cheap grace mentality sometimes. Parents don't take their job seriously enough. I'm telling you, parents, listen to me. We get little Johnny, comes along. Oh, Mommy, I want to be baptized. Okay, we get him baptized. Oh, I'm glad that's over with Johnny. Johnny's saved. Johnny knows the Lord. Mom, Dad, let me tell you something. They know the Lord if you see them when they're 18 or 28 and they're following Jesus. Otherwise, breaking news, they probably don't. That's why you need to do your due diligence and nurture, cultivate them in the admonition of the Lord. Sometimes parents let other priorities, oh, I want my kid to be well socialized. I want him to do this and I want him to have that and I want him to go somewhere else. Be where the truth is. Make that a priority. Grow them up. Do your responsibility. So you won't have to wonder at some point down the line, where did they all go to hell? I can tell you, Mom. I can tell you, Dad. My sheep know me. I know them. And they follow me. And no one is going to snatch them out of my hand. No professor to university or three universities is going to snatch them out of your hand. There may be a little shake and wobble here and there, but eventually they'll land where they ought to land. No one's going to take them out of my hand. And Jesus said, you're worried about the distinction between the Father and I. News for you, 
the Father and I are one. He is deity in the flesh. We're one. Nobody's going to get you away from me. The consistency of the truth. It's always the same. Don't panic. Jesus says, I've got this. You do your part, I'll do my part. Results guaranteed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who came to be our Redeemer, who is and ever shall be our Lord. We thank you, our Father, for the comfort we take in the redundancy of history. We understand how it's working. Everything's not different today than it was before. Technology, we know our Father may be different. A lot of things are stunning, but human beings are the same, and you're ever the same. Your Son is ever the same. He's the Lord of glory forever. We thank you for the assurances of the truth that he gives us. It's consistent. It was yesterday, it's today, and it's forever. Now we pray if any man or woman here does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they may hear this. They may not, our Father, go to sleep, but the Spirit of God may keep cowpunching their conscience with these truths. And you may draw them into the circle, the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.